Basketball is very good. Kawhi will end up loving the cold weather. Giannis will win the MVP next year. What if the Sixers don't need a GM? Basketball is very good. Hello! It has been a while since I have said these two words, but welcome to Group Chat! Justin Barrier! We back! Isn't that forward? Hi, Haley. Yes, it is four words, yeah, but okay. group chatter two words. Thanks for taking the air out of my balloon. <laughs> it's the off season. Officially, it is the off season. Finally, because there's like the off season that's the hot stove NBA in which all of us work seven days a week, twelve hours a day, constantly checking Twitter. The We're post a, postseason. Yeah, now we are officially everybody can go to the beach for the rest of the year. We're I'm at the still point checking Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> We're at the point where most of the content is journalists just complaining about starting their vacation or when they could start their vacation. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, vacation Twitter. Uh, we still have to talk about this Kawhi Leonard thing. Um, so Kawhi Leonard obviously traded from San Antonio Spurs to the Toronto Raptors for DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Podol, and a collection of picks that didn't seem, they don't seem like they're going to tip the scales really one way or another. So it's really what we're getting down to is this Kawhi for DeMar swap, ultimately, mm-hmm. even if Jakob Podol winds up being the next, I don't know, who could he be? Flawless, <laughs> what's, flawless what's pronunciation, his, like, by the way. I've heard it enough times over the last couple of days. Uh, Nazir Muhammad. There you go. So long Jakob Podol could be the next Nazir Muhammad. A couple of different angles I want to hit here. So this was a really strange trade. After coming off the LeBron thing, which I think was, by LeBron standards, anticlimactic, Sunday afternoon in L.A., press release from an unverified Twitter account. <laughs> And we were all just like, okay, it's the new reality. LeBron, <laughs> the Lakers. Um, you know, we get to this Kawhi situation, which has been way more for me like the way European soccer transfers work, which is basically a player starts leaking through the press that they're unhappy with the team they're with. The team's like, we have them under contract. That's too bad. And then it's just, it winds up metastasizing until it's like, they have to get this guy off the team because otherwise it's just going to send the, the franchise into a tailspin. And that's kind of what happened with this Kawhi situation. I mean, you know, the injury, how it was handled, the rumors afterwards, the trade demand this summer, and then finally the Spurs acquiescing. And I think we all kind of thought, I wanted to ask you first, Justin, because I think we all as Spurs watchers over the last decade or so, we're like, oh yeah, they're going to hold fast. They're going to get the best possible deal if they trade him. And they're not getting, maybe they won't trade him at all. Maybe they can just fix this. Mm-hmm. And in the end, they kind of got Got worked a little bit. Yeah, my my general reaction to when the trade came down, which on our time was like, what, 6 o'clock in the morning Pacific time? It was definitely one of those incredibly pleasant wake up and your phone is like still vibrating from the right. hour of things that have been happening. Pleasant at like 3 o'clock when we were done with our work day, but not at 7 <laughs> o'clock when you wake up and you have yes. a fire drill on your hand. Yes. No, I mean, I think the collective just reaction was, huh. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like the big deal that we all thought of. And the biggest takeaway as it settles in is kind of just like, this is how trades go. We all kind of work ourselves up into lathers thinking like, well, based on the value of Kawhi, a top five player in the NBA, he's going to get a sort of package that will set up the Spurs for the next generation. Mm -hmm. But if you look back at like pretty much every star trade over the past decade, maybe even going further back, it's really never what we expect it to be. Look at the Kyrie Irving trade last year. Isaiah Thomas turned out to be more hurt than we thought. Uh, I mean, it ultimately wound up being Kyrie Irving for Colin Sexton. Yeah, (laughs) essentially. I mean, the Dwight Howard trade, for a while we were talking ourselves into like Nikola Vucevic being the best like asset in that trade simply because he was signed long term. I guess technically like the Rockets traded for Chris Paul, but that one was essentially like a free agency signing anyway, you know? Yeah, true. But at, at the same time, it's just, it's never just a one for one. And I think it makes a little bit of sense for the Spurs if you look at their situation, if you look at Pop's specific situation, and we can talk about that. But overall, it just, it's kind of a fizzle rather than any sort of of ground-shaking, like NBA-shaping trade sort of situation. I guess I was kind of surprised because of the same thing that you were saying. I didn't expect it to be a superstar for superstar type trade. I yeah, we had that, heard it was going to be... Yeah, and this is yeah, how they Brandon rebuild. Ingram's a, a younger yeah. guy, younger yeah. package or, you know, whatever. And they did get that pick. Sure. But I didn't expect this because it kind of seems like this whole season has taken the wind out of pop. Sure. And For obvious reasons. Right. Yeah. And I've been saying this for a while, but I've always thought, okay... He seems over it. He and he wants to leave the Spurs with something for the future. I can't imagine that he would leave this franchise and retire after this long and not be setting them up. Mm-hmm. And the Demar thing seems like a Kawhi replacement, where essentially they're saying, "Okay, like we kind of have to go now. This guy's in his prime." And with Kawhi, I didn't think that Popovich was going to retire 
I don't know, like in the next three years, because actually I have a Louisville comparison. When Rick Pitino won the 2013 championship, which happened, uh, <laughs> he said he said that it brought the coaching excitement back into it. Sure. And he wanted to keep going. Yeah. And so I thought that essentially that was what Kawhi was for Pop. And then after all this drama, I thought surely he's not going to want to do this for much longer. He's got longer. the Team USA thing coming. You right. know, it just seemed like obviously his wife passed away. They had all these problems internally with the Spurs. The ownership group went through a little bit of a rocky thing with Juliana and Peter Holt having a divorce. It's been a, a long, rough year. Routinely, his assistant coaching bench gets raided for other jobs, and James Borrego left for for another job. But that being said, I thought he sounded pretty peppy yesterday. Mm. He did. Um, I he thought did. he, in classic Popovich fashion, kind of makes the entire endeavor of thinking too much about this stuff and worrying too much about this stuff, he throws it immediately in perspective. He has that way of going about during a playoff series, you know, he'll just be ruthless about the refereeing and we're not getting calls here and you can tell he's just like really locked in and the second the Spurs lose, he embraces the other coach and he's just like, we're going to go, we're going to, everybody's going to take a break, we're going to go eat some good food, we're going to come back, recharged and try and go for it again next year. And he kind of sounded like that. He yeah. sort of was just like, we're not enduring anything. Right. Everybody, uh, if you watch the news, like you can tell like this is, this is a child's game that we play. He literally said child's game. And he was and like, he, I can't wait to coach Kawhi on Team USA, basically. Right. And he said, he was asked a question about whether Kawhi was a bad teammate. And obviously there are all those reports about, you know, they're begging him to play in the locker room and mm -hmm. he wouldn't play. And, you know, Tony Parker saying that comment that really pissed him off about my injury my is worse. worse yeah. Tony Parker, classic number one teammate. Yeah, great teammate in the past. Great teammate. <laughs> and he said, no, Kawhi was a great teammate the whole time. Yeah, all about basketball. So it was Didn't just, really care about money. Yeah, yeah. everything was good, just he's mellowed lose a lot out. Of it. Right. <laughs> yeah, th this whole like past year with the Spurs has almost been like what you were saying, Chris, just like their pragmatism, especially coming from pop, kind of clashing against the vision we've had of them as being like this progressive like bastion of yeah. of an NBA franchise where I think a few years ago when they kind of developed themselves as like the the perfect foil for the big three heat by almost working the angles, like they were one of the first teams to really embrace the corner three and find the value of it, or at the very least like take advantage of it in ways that like led to such um, such results where they were basically able to take an aging core to upend one of the greatest collections of talents that we've ever seen. But now you start to see with Pop and like some of the moves that they've been making, it really comes down to he kind of just wants to win. Mm -hmm. He just wants to go forward with who he has. He wants to have a good time. And I think with DeMar, you, you kind of see a team where I think I'm actually in excited to see what this team shakes out to be. I've never been a big DeMar fan, like watching him play specifically. But like they have a lot of young guys and I, I do feel like it's just they're just gonna wanna go forward and take advantage of what is it, last two, three years of of pop at yeah. the helm. Yeah. Which like for them I get it, although from an outsider's point of view, it does feel weird that they're not making the sort of home run trades that we all assumed that they would. Yeah. That's a very like sort of positive way of looking at it. Sure. I think that one of the reasons why this trade doesn't feel good, and Haley, you kind of wrote about this too, is not only do you have Kawhi, who hasn't really given many public statements over the last season, and when he has, they haven't really corresponded with the way that the story has gone. So he had said recently enough, I want to be a spur for life, and that obviously wasn't the case. And then you know, on the flip side, you wrote about this yesterday, Haley, is the DeMar thing sucks. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? This is another, this is a second straight NBA season where basically a franchise icon First, Isaiah Thomas last year, DeMar DeRozan this year, gets traded kind of in the height of their relationship, like in the peak of their relationship with the fan base. And you know, we haven't heard from DeRozan yet. And honestly, DeRozan's not going to Orlando. Like well, he's he going to be the, in the playoffs next year, probably. Instagram. Right. About, so I don't remember the exact words, but something about loyalty yeah. or, mm. you know, yeah. something about that. And then he did not say, but there were reports that. He was lied to. Yeah, Aldridge said that he was said lied that, to. That DeMar's camp maintains that they talked right. to Masai in Vegas. And I think that the wording is, I think we're left with the impression that he would not be traded. Oh, I see. And then there has been since then some reporting that suggests like, I think Zach said on his podcast, Zach Lowe said on his podcast, that I can't imagine that Masai would actually put it that way. Because he's just been trying to trade 
There's been rumors that he's been trying to trade DeMar for two years. Yeah, I guess. And there's been rumors that he's wanted to blow this team up since he basically got hired in Toronto, but was the, the team was basically too good, creating too much buzz in the city and the We the North stuff and the Lowry and DeRozan love story to really like rip that thing apart. Yeah, I've been surprised by almost the reaction to DeMar leaving. I guess I never understood, maybe because I've willfully yeah. ignored the Raptors for over the past few years, <laughs> as as we all know. Um, but it, it just seems, it's almost jarring to see the reaction, to see DeMar almost like revered in the same way, not necessarily Duncan, but maybe even like a Parker yeah. was with the Spurs. I mean, overall, though, I think this is kind of a brilliant move from Masai. I, I think there are questions, and I think they start with, Having Kawhi, a disgruntled superstar with a first-year head coach in Nick Nurse, although he's he's proven to be kind of a, a brilliant offensive tactician, like he's give, been given credit for a lot of the the progression they made on offense last year, especially with Demar Derozan shooting threes. Um, but overall, I, I look at their team, and all of a sudden, it looks really good. Yeah. Like, and it specifically looks good against some of the best teams that they're going to have to like upend, which has been their biggest issue the past two postseasons. If healthy, I think they can play play with Boston, for, for sure. For sure, and maybe even the Warriors. Well, so what I wrote yesterday that I found so interesting was that DeMar wanted to be a franchise lifer at a time where that doesn't... Mm-hmm. It's not really a thing anymore. It's kind of like a player's league, and they get to decide where they're going to go and even build a team. He was the Kobe proxy and, for a right, lot of people. Right, and he got yeah. traded for a guy who doesn't want to be there and probably won't be there after this season, mm-hmm. which is fine with Toronto because obviously like they're just trying to clear out DeMar's cap space. But with your point, I'm kind of interested to see like how hard is Kawhi going to try this season? So this I'm not is- sure if that's a fair question, but like, I mean, after all of this, I'm his identity, he doesn't seem like the same guy who I had always attached. You know, like, okay, he's going to be this straight-A student under yeah. pop. He's loyal. Talk, you know what I mean? A, the Terminator. We talked about, like, I think I remember the first, like, year or so of Kevin O'Connor at the ringer. Like, mm-hmm. we, he just would refer to Kawhi as a robot or refer to Kawhi as a Terminator. And I and was just like, did. yeah, you know, that's like, it was kind of just the casual way you would just sort of, like, I'm saying Kawhi's name. I'm going to refer to his lack of right. kind of personality and his, like, dedication to the Spurs way. I wonder if we also just kind of attach that to him because it's the Spurs. Yeah. You know, like, well, that, that, that is that. where the people Spurs play for life. were like, this guy gets it. This guy doesn't want any—this guy doesn't make any problems. He's only about the only about the work. He's exactly part of the continuum of Manu and Tim and Tony of mm-hmm. guys who want to be here, guys who get the— the relationship between the team and the community and guys who understand that like you're going to have to sacrifice certain things to get to the finals. Well, even Pop said last year when LaMarcus came back and he revealed that yeah. he asked him to for a trade that that was the first time that ever happened to him yes. in his entire coaching career. Right. And now it's coach. happened twice in two seasons. Right. right. And so I can see why it's jarring for both sides where you do have the lifer being replaced by the guy who is maybe won't show up. Um, but I do think it's interesting on the other end where the Spurs are essentially like closing out the pop chapter with something of a Kobe proxy, a guy who like lives in the mid range was probably um, he was a good player. He he probably had his best year of his career last year, but I think it's fair to say might be on the downslope going forward. I think he's 29 now Demar, And I don't know. I, I, it just seems like the sort of cold, efficient trade that people are going to be up in arms about now. But I think for both sides to move forward, it was it was necessary. And for the Raptors, it's the type of move that's forward thinking enough to where you aren't two years from now wondering why you kind of committed to this like artificial ceiling. Sure. Which we've seen from the Raptors the past couple of years. Like the Raptors all of a sudden look like a title contender, which even in the best of like what they were doing during last regular season, we weren't able to say because there were always the same sort of haunting questions about DeMar specifically. It's exciting. And it kind of also reminds me of what the Spurs did this season. Mm. I mean, Chris Paul had already left. But they signed Blake and then they Who were the like... Clippers did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they were like, you know what? This actually hasn't worked out. This thing that we've been trying to get to work for so long is not working yes. out. Yes. It's interesting that the people that we keep bringing up in these situations are all guys who I... Th- at least publicly, seemed to be under the impression that they were franchise players. Yeah. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Blake Griffin right. re-signed with the life. Clippers after walking through like a museum of his own accomplishments in, in Staples. Sorry, Isaac. And that was, that was an and obnoxiously it's, loud it's such, an interesting, <laughs> it's such an interesting state of affairs that we find ourselves in the modern NBA where most of the guys who have stayed with their teams or like worked pretty hard to be really good basketball players 
are now considered albatrosses on their team salary caps, whether it's John Wall, Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, you know, mm-hmm. Chris Paul will be in a year or two. If if he if Chris Paul breaks down again in next next postseason, people are going to be tearing their hair out about the fact that he's going to be getting paid $40 million right. deep into his 30s. Right. In the last CBA negotiations, they seem to make a clear effort to try to keep these guys on, on their current yes. teams. A lot of them coming from small markets, and I assume that's where, like, kind of the push came from. But if anything, it's worked against a lot of these teams where the players, the money isn't enough of an incentive for them to stay. And on the team side, the money is way too punitive and and the luxury tax and all that for them to keep them. And so we're in a situation where uh, Bill always talks about pre-agency. That seems to be more of an issue now than ever before, simply because they tried to overcorrect. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about pre-agency in the second half of this podcast. I want to hit one or two more Kawhi things before we go. I agree with you. I think you were talking about the potential of Toronto as like a finals team. And Mm -hmm. I actually agree that the best case scenario is that. But the weird thing about Kawhi now, and we saw this happen a little bit with Paul George, whereas at Indiana, Paul George was just like, I love Indiana and I love fishing and I love chilling with these guys. And like, there was a time when we thought that George Hill, Paul George and Roy Hibbert were going to be perennial (laughs) Eastern Conference finalists. Um, And then when he moved to Oklahoma and when he was traded, when he asked for his trade, when he was traded to Oklahoma and the entire season in Oklahoma, you see this extra level of scrutiny because everybody is curious about what he's going to do next. And we're trying to say like, oh, the Lakers tampering with him. Does Oklahoma City have a chance? Every streak means one thing or another for his, oh, they lost five in a row. He's definitely leaving. Mm -hmm. They won six in a row. Maybe he'll stay. There was that like one stretch where they had Roberson and it was like they had like a top five defense and people were like, maybe this is just like a really good team. Mm -hmm. I remember after a Lakers game or something, for some reason he was in LA. Yeah, and like his entire family was sitting courtside or something. And And then afterwards, whoever the sideline reporter was asked him like, so, you know, this is kind of weird because you're in LA and like everyone knows about next season and the rumors. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I love LA. And I love Oklahoma City. It's like he had to even everything out. So get ready for that with Kawhi. And the interesting thing about Kawhi is I wouldn't say that he has been sheltered necessarily, but I do think now that there is a new level of intensity in the spotlight on him. And you can tell that by the fact that already he hasn't even spoken about being traded to Toronto. You're already getting like Bruce Arthur, who knows the Raptors as well as anybody, talking about how... There are rumors that Kawhi wants to set up his own super team in Brooklyn next year Mm. or somewhere. That Kawhi has already started making calls, gauging people's interest in like forming a super team elsewhere, not necessarily in Toronto. So you were talking about like, you know, we've we've mentioned this a couple of times. Like he hasn't, is he going to show up basically either in terms of his effort or even physically for his medical? This is kind of a really good chess move by Masai. This Mm -hmm. This is a way of reading it. You make this trade, yeah, down the line now you're free of the DeMar contract and you can change the way the team plays, worst case scenario, if uh, Kawhi leaves. But what you're basically doing is, look, man, you have like a season to rehabilitate or to save your NBA career. Because if Kawhi dogs it or is like, yeah, my quad injury is still bad, so maybe at All-Star break I'll play. Right. That's not good for him, man. At mm-hmm. a certain point, people are going to be like, what's up with this guy? Right, and if he doesn't show up, they can find him the extent of his entire contract or even void the trade. I, I think about it a lot. Obviously, the the Paul George corollary is like very clear, and I think there's a chance that he might just love Toronto and, and love his situation. But I think about LeBron calling his Miami years like his college years, mm-hmm. essentially, where he went and kind of divorced himself from this, like, the world that he knew. And also the the weight of being like the yeah. savior of an entire state's professional sporting culture. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it just opened his mind to, up to new kind of realities and like Miami has a tendency to, to, to <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Deanna Rangers can attest to that. Um, but I do wonder if just the, the act of having to show up in Toronto, having to adapt to a situation, trying to make the best of it because financially it is in his best interest. I wonder how much that's going to affect his just his entire perception of Toronto, of the NBA, and like what he wants from like his next situation. I also think like it's gonna affect his it's gonna affect like the second he walks in that locker right. room. I yeah. think I almost think about it more than Paul George in the context of when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors. Because he was forced to confront that he can't be this person that he was in OKC. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be a different person now. You can't be like this for the city guy and he you know it obviously affected him from all the stuff that came afterwards the burner accounts 
you know, people are never going to stop talking about that. He had to become really defensive. And I think that he, too, is kind of a quiet dude. And with Kwai, like, he's probably going to feel a need to be defensive because we've only heard one side of this. And his reputation is being very quiet, but it can't be going forward. I just don't see how it could be. I'm just curious about how he's going to be greeted in the locker room, too. Well, also the media. Like, we think about Toronto as kind of like a a different world. Uh, But, like, they are, like, what, a top five market in the NBA? They have, like, Cable Sports Network dedicated (laughs) to all of their pro sports teams and, Mm -hmm. like, the Raptors have been better than the Leaves, I think, over the last few years. I'm sure Hockey Twitter will correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. And but yeah, like the Raptors have been in the playoffs. Like I, we, Adam Neiman, who writes movie reviews for the Ringer, has um like often just is like as an aside in his emails about what time he's filing his pieces. We'll be like, we'll file when the Raptors are over. <laughs> kind of freaking out because of this Raptors thing, but we'll file soon. You know, like and that'll just be because they lost three games in February. Right. So now it's like a whole new level. Like, yeah, there's going to be an increased scrutiny. You're totally right. Yeah, I mean, I just look at the the beat writer culture. It's almost like a signpost for how much interest there is in a team. And there's like four or five traveling beat writers for the Raptors, and he's going to have to get up there every day, presumably, and talk about this. Talk about his relationship with with Kyle Lowry. Talk about his relationship with Nick Nurse. And I I think the optimists would say like maybe that opens a, him up to Masai and all these new situations, and maybe he's, he realizes what a good team they have there. But on the downside, I mean, I still think like the Lakers are looming out there. And I think if there's a winner outside of the the two teams actually involved in the trade, it, it's definitely them. Uh, I can, oh, absolutely the Lakers. Because they didn't have to give up anyone. And yeah. they could still very easily get But don't fly. you think, so one thing I would say, though, is that we just don't know who this guy is. Like, I don't know how he's wired. I don't know if he, right. if he wanted to be traded to the Lakers, which I know that they said like his preference is L.A., I, I agree with you, but I, I just I think that there's more shoes to drop in the Kawhi story. I could see him being like, I I want to play with like we have no idea who he wants to play with or whether he thinks he's so good it should be people wanting to come play with him somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I I would a lot is going to be determined now. I think the Lakers did really well to keep a lot of these kids and not give up too much to get a second star with LeBron because. This way, like, they can kind of ease into the pool a little bit of, like, what's going to be such a strange season for them. Mm-hmm. I think if they had gotten a Kawhi or a Paul George, it just would have been like, you guys win tonight? Did you guys win tonight? Did you guys win tonight? Are you better than the Warriors? And now it's like, make the playoffs. Right. You know, the Lakers haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years. Make the playoffs and we'll, we'll, like, that'll be a success. I think the storyline, too, is that LeBron signing for four years kind of almost takes the pressure off them a little bit. Because it seems like, I mean— we're all we were all joking about who they signed because it was underwhelming. But it seems like they are definitely building towards something. It's no it's not necessarily like we have to win this year. Yeah. Which is surprising because I mean, he hasn't showed any signs of slowing down, but like LeBron is thirty-three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the biggest thing. Like I, I think it makes a lot of sense if you're looking at this from the long term view, which based on the contract, as Haley mentions, like it seems like that's what he's doing. At the same time, like he's going to be 34 in, I believe, December. Mm-hmm. Like, how many peak years is he going to have? And I think the optimist view is well, if he's going to downshift at some point, and it's probably going to come in at best two years in some, some ways, uh, like having that young collection of talent is going to help more than anything. At the same time, like they're, they're still like basing a lot of their actions, the organization on hope on, on, on exceptionalism. And it, and it worked with LeBron, but to assume that everyone is wired in the same way is just kind of a misnomer. I mean, just look at Paul George. Yeah, he was the absolutely. one that we all assumed would take that route. And That's he true. didn't. That's true. One last Kawhi note before we go. Um, really incredible Rick Buecher tweet from <laughs> the other day. Uh, first weekend of Las Vegas summer league. I asked a rival GM about Kawhi going and staying in Toronto. Quote, No chance, he said. He was in the All-Star game there, never left his room. (laughs) He hates the cold. It's a good sign. I hate the cold too. That's why I live in Los Angeles. So I, I totally, I totally sympathize with Kawhi. I can I can tell you guys it is literally like 85 degrees and I'm sweating and Barrier is in two (laughs) t-shirts. My office is really cold. Um, before we go to a break, I just want to hit the other bit of free agency uh, news that hit today, which was Marcus Smart resigning with the Boston Celtics for four years, $52 million, which um, 
it is one of those weird things where it's like I we we talk so much about like shooting. We talk so much about like you know upside and potential. And Marcus Smart is who he is, and you can see what he brings in the postseason. He basically will like sacrifice his entire body for your for your team to win. Then take. Like seven threes. Yeah, and take seven all. threes. That might <laughs> be a bad all. beat. I like secretly kind of was pining for him on the Sixers. I thought the Sixers could really use somebody like Marcus Smart, but mm-hmm. I understand why they didn't go for him. But now in retrospect, with Bielisa <laughs> ghosting us yeah, and like winding up kind of, you know, uh, on the outside looking in with some of the superstars that they had been shopping for, I kind I kind of wish we had Marcus Smart. I know that's stupid. Um any thoughts on the Marcus Smart thing and any more thoughts more broadly on like how weird this restricted free agency class was with Jabari well, and Levine? I, f- I feel bad for Marcus Smart because I actually do really, I did want him to stay with the Celtics because I wanted to see this team with everyone healthy. Right. But I feel bad for him because I do think in any other market, maybe next year especially, he would have gotten more money. And he was really adamant about that. He was like, I'm not taking a hometown discount. Actually, he didn't say that, but that was the report. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he said, I'm worth more than 12 to 14 million. He got 13 million a year and he got over four years. So, I mean, in one aspect, he got security, which is good. In another, he probably does deserve more money. And I also think that this is, I mean, it's good for him because of security. But now the Celtics also have the security of having a very tradable contract (laughs) in him. I mean, so it, it kind of sucks for him as well. But um, now, I mean, also they have Rozier hitting restricted free agency next season. They have Kyrie as an unrestricted free Mm -hmm. agent next season. And so it does give them a lot more security in all aspects of that. Yeah, it, it was a, a kind of a looming threat there when you see the details of of what he signed to, and he, you realize he's their only middle tier contract on the books for the Celtics. Right, and I also want to say that <laughs> he turned down an extension last fall that was four years, fifty million. He just right. signed. Fifty-two million, like yeah. that sucks. The the whatever cap environment that came as a result of the two thousand six kind of boom, like it squeezed out everybody. And I'm actually surprised that he got this much money. And it almost seems like maybe the the Celtics overpaid a little bit because of that middle tier contract that they needed to swing in a trade. So I guess like we'll see at the deadline what happens. But for now, I mean. Yes, the Celtics are kind of loaded in the backcourt, but what were we saying about this team throughout the entire playoffs? It was just, just like their switchability, their defense, and to a large extent, he's kind of like an identity for them on that end. Yeah. And I do feel and like— And Smart and Morris replaced probably the 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 sticker shock of Hayward and Irving, and mm-hmm. you'd just be like, oh, two All-Stars this is amazing. Smart and Morris were like, no, we're like gritty— Everybody, it's us and Baines, and we're just gonna like be like the the junkyard dogs who get after it every night. And I also mm. think it's easy to forget that Marcus is only twenty four. Yeah. So yeah. this this contract, although I think his body is like thirty one <laughs> after like the amount of times it's gone <laughs> flying into the stands. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. This could right. be. This is not his last contract. I can see why everyone thinks that this is. I could see why it's probably an unpopular opinion to say that he could make more, but other teams could definitely, definitely use him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He'd be very important to them. So overall, I'm, I'm kind of sad for him. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the next big questions facing the NBA. Hey guys, before we keep going with NBA group chat, let me just tell you about some of the podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network this week. One Shining Podcast made the pilgrimage to Ohio to talk to Greg Oden. Mark Titus and Tate Frazier with the Ohio State's big man legend who obviously had a very rocky NBA career, but is still a really, really interesting guy. And he's obviously a longtime friend of Mark Titus. So that that's an amazing podcast. Also this week, The Rewatchables is covering Midnight Run. Haley, have you ever seen Midnight Run? No. Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, 1980s buddy movie. Is it on Netflix? I just saw Heat. Did you watch Heat? Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. Cool. I loved it. Uh, go subscribe and listen through your preferred podcast app or visit theringer.com slash podcasts. All right, guys, we're back. I want to talk a little bit about next big NBA questions. And since we spent the most of this pod so far talking about Kawhi Leonard and the way that he exercised his pre-agency to force his way out of San Antonio, let's take a little bit of a temperature on some of the other stars. We talked briefly about Kyrie Irving, who weirdly showed up in a couple of Maybe not super solid rumors, but like his name got circulated in Kawhi talk. It was that, that was definitely a re- in a report. Hmm. Yeah, that that Boston would be more into trading 
Kyrie for oh, Kawhi. Oh, I remember that. I thought Tatum that that was just like a public sure. debate. I no, thought I that was, was like, like a I think Reddit, that was a rumor. Would you do it? And then there's also been rumors that Kyrie is not planning on spending his entire career in Boston based on the fact that he went on the Bill Simmons show and didn't sound like he was planning on staying. He was kind of like, yeah, guys, today we like to play places in a couple years and play with friends and move, like do different things. And I can never tell what Kyrie's I'm coming home is because he sounded <laughs> like when he went to Boston, he was like finally like a real basketball city. But is he like, he's from Jersey. Would he want to go play for the Knicks? That's the rumor. And I mean, obviously KD is out there. Yeah. And the rumors are about KD are, are centered around the fact that nobody knows what is up with that guy or what he ever wants. And that, is, and that Rich Kleiman is like, I want to run the Knicks one. <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, the other thing is just like Kyrie and Jimmy Butler. Apparently they're friends. I yes. want to know more about that friendship, first of all. And second of all, <laughs> like <don't>. where... <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of deep philosophical talks over dominoes is what I'm assuming. So let's go through these guys. Let's, let's start with Jimmy Butler. Okay. Who turned down an extension, correct? Which I Correct. came out and I was like, he turned down an extension. And you were like, he was always going to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a four-year, $100 million ex- extension. But it makes sense. And I think that everyone expected him to turn it down. They kind of just had to offer it just because. Because next year, he's eligible for a five-year contract worth. It's projected at 188 But I think that, obviously, that could fluctuate a little bit. Um, with the Wolves, or it'd be 140 anywhere else. So, I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, he was going to turn it down. That's missing out on a lot of money. But also, he hasn't sounded super pleased with the Wolves. No. no, Nor would you necessarily. I mean, they're essentially running back the team that they had last year. Right, which didn't work. It had so many flaws, right. including its head coach. I've never seen a situation just become so sad so quickly. Like, the Wolves had, like, this long runway where they had two budding stars on rookie deals and everything to really put something together there. And all of a sudden, like, we're looking at maybe a playoff team, and after that, their best player could leave. Well, I mean, that's what happened when happens when maybe, I don't want to say potential flattens out, but, like, Wiggins is definitely not who everyone wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. And then they doubled down on him. And so it's hard to say, like, this is a team of the future in the same way you would Philly because there's a lot more potential shown there, and they also haven't paid for them yet. In terms of public perception, I can't think of a way this could have gone worse. Because right. you've basically got a former number one pick that they traded Kevin Love for who is not playing like a number one pick and seems kind of like, blo- like I would say, muted about his enthusiasm for Minnesota. <laughs> then you've got Carl Towns, yeah. who for like two seasons, people are like, well, we found the new Tim Duncan. This is incredible. And now he is like, well, the kind of— the floor dropped out beneath me because you traded for Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Butler's screaming at me about like putting on different kinds of music or like, you know, you know what I mean? Like right. they, they have like a love hate relationship. Well, it seems like, also, I mean, yeah, there have been reports from every single one of them that they're not happy. Right. Wiggins was like there. I mean, these are all reports. I'm not saying they said this, but Wiggins was like, yeah, I hate being the third wheel. I thought that like, this was, my team just as much as it was Carl's. Carl Anthony Towns, this was the most recent one, wasn't it? Where he was like, yeah, I'm not super pleased with the front office or my talks with them. And you're right, Butler, it seemed like they, you know, didn't get along great. And then Jimmy Butler was like, yeah, these guys are annoying. They're young and they don't try hard. Right, which would make the second team that Jimmy Butler— I mean, Jimmy Butler seems like he basically tries harder than any other He's player. He's the most intense person in the like world. an intense person Do to be— Do you remember be, that yeah. um, profile from over the summer? He said, he said something like, I have to remember that I can't get— really upset with people who don't try as hard as I do because not everyone's made the same way as me. I can sympathize. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Jimmy Butler, we imagine, is is his last season in Minnesota. I have to think so, yeah. They had to have a play-in game to make the playoffs last year. So that would be $48 They had to have a play-in game to make the playoffs before LeBron came to the Lakers. Yeah, and— it must be really tough to upset all these guys when you're paying them the absolute like max you possibly can. These guys are are making money hand over fist and like they by all accounts have been treated well on that end of things and yet they're still upset. I think it comes down to like this just the grinding effect of Tibbs in, in the modern NBA. I just don't think you could take that approach to to any person, let alone like a, a basketball player or an athlete or whatever you want to say. Um 
it just it, it just went south so quickly, and it, it makes me actually think about the Sixers. <laughs> believe it or not, like I think by and large, it seems like they've kind of flubbed this offseason. They didn't take advantage of this window to like bring on another All Star or whatever. But at the same time, they have extended it by p- taking on that Heat pick, yeah, that they got from the trade of Zaire Smith and uh, Mikael Bridges. And it just speaks to like kind of the the foresight of Hinky and Hinkyism, where it's just like trying to create multiple opportunities. Whereas a team like the Wolves and even the Nuggets, they seem to have zoned in on this one window when like their ceiling during that window is maybe a like middle tier playoff team. Yeah, and I can't imagine them taking the risk of changing the course in the same way like we were talking about yeah. Demar. You know, they were Masai gave up on the dream, basically, of that core that we saw wasn't working out. And I can't imagine the Wolves or Tibbs as a GM, you know, taking action right now in this moment. Honestly, like, what do you guys think that they could do to fix this situation? Honestly, because I don't think that— I think one of the problems is is that Tibbs has now fallen into the, like, are we sure he's good zone? And so we definitely don't have a lot of confidence in him as a GM. So you're not going to see, even though they made the Zach Levine for Jimmy Butler trade, which I would still do— like every day of the week. God, that was the peak, and then it just went so far yeah. down. Every transaction he made after that was like— it, it just seems like he is not the right guy to either be the coach or the GM, and probably both, because he's not going to—he never really invested in and has developed the younger talent. It doesn't look like the young guys like playing for him, you know? And I think also just like the culture there has kind of gone and off, where you hear stories about guys stat hunting, you hear stories about guys not getting along— and the West is just too competitive for a team that's, like, trying to figure it out. There were reports in the season where, I, I think it was Jeff Teague, he where he was super unhappy and shocked by the amount of minutes that, that they were playing. The and, entire starting yeah. five at this point. <laughs> right. And, like, Taj Gibson was the oldest one of the starting five, and he was playing the most minutes. Yeah. I just look at the moves that Tibbs has made as an executive this offseason, which I believe are only signing Derrick Rose to the minimum and hard capping themselves by signing Anthony Tolliver to like the maximum of whatever mid level they have, probably the taxpayers. And like it just doesn't work anymore. And we've talked about this in the past where the coach GM just doesn't work. It's pretty much just Tibbs and Pop. And we're seeing both of them recently, like how that like that clash of the two roles is is not best for both sides. Yeah, right. All right, so that's that's the Minnesota situation. That's the Jimmy Butler situation. Other next NBA questions I think that are really worth talking about are uh, who is going to be the next Kawhi-like player to exercise their pre-agency? You know, I mean, it, is that an Anthony Davis? Does Anthony Davis look around the league and does he want to wait out the last two years of his contract or does he start to say, look, like, we made a nice run last year. I've played my entire career here. I love New Orleans, but like trade me wild. You can still basically get the biggest possible haul for me. Yeah, he's actually, he's probably the one that the rest of the league wishes was the next pre-agency candidate. And I do wonder what's going to happen, but I would presume that he'll at least try to work his way through this season because there is an upside to what they built last year without Boogie and some of the guys that they brought on. Like I, I, I said this after the trade happened, but they essentially just got the slim fit versions of Rondo and, and Boogie and yeah. Alfred Payton and, and, and Julius, Julius Randle. Yeah. I don't know if they're perfect fits, but I do like both players in a vacuum. Yeah. So they, I think there is an upside in Alvin Gentry's system for the, both of those guys to hit and for the team to essentially maybe even be like a top four seed in the West. The guy I would look at is not a sexy name, but I wonder what's happening with Marcus Hall. Like we've seen reports about how. He's been a little unhappy. Obviously, David Fisdale, the clash with him led to Fisdale's exit. And now we're at the point where I believe Gasol has this year and then an option for next year. He's 33. He's still a very valuable player. But the signs are just there where they're sort of in that in-between zone between a rebuild versus going for it. And the owner thinks that they're going to make the playoffs. But if you look at the West right now, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So I think there's a possibility where he gets upset and all of a sudden you're looking at maybe like a reboot around Jaron Jackson. I literally can't think of a single team that would trade for Marcus All right now. Yeah, I can't either. But I do have a guy who I think is going to have an attitude. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Is it Chris? And it's legit. It's He should. I think that it's going to be Giannis. So this is the next yeah. a, next NBA question. What guy will have an attitude? Yeah. No, I mean, maybe we shouldn't say attitude. That sounds like it's their fault. No. But, but could, somebody who will get— 
yeah, upset with their team. I think it's going to be Giannis because if this team stays the same or if it doesn't get better, if they don't surround him with somebody else, it's going to it's going to be the same kind of quiet issue where it was, I mean, not injury related, but there were also reports where he was upset that they couldn't bring any talent to San Antonio. And Giannis is only making four, it's a four year, a hundred million dollar contract. So he signed a pretty, for him, cheap contract and he's locked into it. What it start this year? Yeah. Or it starts this year? It starts this year. So that's a long time. I got to I'm going the other way on that. What, that he's going to be happy? I think that this team has been criminally, like, malcoached over the last few years. That's fair. I think that they, like, punted on, like, the second half of the season after they got rid of Kid with, with Prunty. And I think that Kid was probably, like, interesting where he would bring this, like, this— that, like let's go long and switch on defense and everything, but like they basically have had not had like a good coach in at least three years. Yeah, uh, not to be truth is in the middle guy, but I'm kind of in the middle of both of you, both physically in this room and, and when it comes to the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> like I do think like yes, I think Bud will bring out the best in Giannis and some of the guys like that, literally that they just have like stand over here is like a good <laughs> good start for those guys. And I like the bigs that they brought on this this offseason. I think Ilyasova is a good match for Giannis in the front court. I think Brooke Lopez on a cheap deal is a good match for Giannis and the type of stretch guy you need with Giannis where his literally only flaws is shooting at this point. Um, at the same time, some of the deals that they've given out in recent history and that Ilyasova contract who was essentially kind of on his last leg of his career, basically, I think it was like three for 21 million. Like, I think they're going to come up against some issues. And one guy I'm wondering about is Chris Middleton. I believe he's a free agent. He's next year. Next mm-hmm. year. Yeah. And he's the type of guy where you want him because he's a, he's effectively Giannis's best teammate. And I think they can grow together and they play off each other really well. We mm-hmm. saw in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They, they pretty much, besides the Cavs, played the Celtics the best in the last postseason. Um, but I do wonder, he's also the type of guy that might look elsewhere or you might look to trade for some sort of like superstar upgrade. I don't know that Bud's ever had a t- like a is ne- I know how Al Horford was really good in Atlanta but Bud's never coached a player this good. No. no. He, and he hasn't. Sure. Uh, I thought like we're not that far away from Budnels are winning 60 plus games with nobody. <laughs> and So I'm, now he has a top five NBA player and a pretty decent surrounding cast and has shown in the past that he can get way more out of guys than we thought was there. Oh, right. I mean, no, he's like one of the, I'm not saying he's as but good a coach like, as Brad like, he's I'm one like, of those guys without the I think Giannis is going to be like, holy crap, we're good. Mm. I'm not saying no, I'm they're not, not yelling at good. you. I'm saying I'm saying this feels personal. It's You're not, not personal. I'm saying, <laughs> guys, do we need to take a break? <laughs> you guys can't see this, but there's a lot of intense looks it's coming not, from I'm the other side. Of I was just like, I was just. This is sports talk radio. But I'm listen, I'm, I don't think that listen, they're going to be bad. I have to say this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Why? No. I'm just saying if they don't get a lot better, he's okay. gonna. He's yeah. he has every right to be mad, and the other people. Who are pro- I mean, think about the Warriors. Very easily, one of them could get over this whole situation. Right. It seems like it's going to be Clay or um, Draymond mm. first because of money, obviously. But I mean, I don't. Who knows? That you can't keep four guys like that happy forever. Yeah, the Warriors situation is going to be fascinating. It, like because. I don't know. Like they seemed so challenged by doing it for a fourth time. But like the Kerr extension, the their ability to kind of like they they did some nice retooling like of their bench. I don't know. The Durant's one and one is very odd, but I do wonder whether or not they're gonna make one more push for this fifth and fifth finals trip and make it basically like we are the best team of all time. And well the we one and one up. was to save money. Sure. I think it's also to maximize flexibility. Right. I think yeah. it is. The one thing that I'd always been looking at is as LeBron was going to the Lakers. It seemed more and more that the reporting indicated the reason why he was doing one-on-ones was specifically because of the trust issues with Dan Gilbert. So there were very clear reasons why he did his contracts that way. And then when he went to the Lakers, there were clear reasons why he did it that way, where he agreed long-term to Magic, a mm-hmm. guy by all accounts is like someone he just really sees himself in and wants to emulate in his career. But with KD, there is no real reason why he's doing one-on-one except for flexibility, which I get, but at the same time, he's left a lot of money on the table by 
almost just not knowing what he wants in his career. This is kind of a weird thought, mm-hmm. and you guys can laugh at me, but— never, I would never do that. Okay. <laughs> like, 30 seconds ago, but okay. <laughs> it's also—you could also make the argument that the Warriors like it so much because it's flexible for them. Yeah, sure. And I'm yeah. not necessarily saying, like, they would never re- not re-sign KD. He's the second best player in the league. But it is interesting because his contract will be up, well, could be up, and then Draymond's and Clay's as well all at the same time. So how specifically they will be able to retool that if they can, I don't I'm not a believer that I they think can. Draymond's the soul of the team. I just think Draymond is the alpha on that team. Those Do you guys, think that they realize that? Um, I think that they realize that when they need it and then when it's like Draymond either like when it's Draymond playing poorly or maybe being a little out of shape during the regular season, but still barking at dudes, like it might get a little frustrating. And then at the playoffs, they're like, God bless. Thank you so much for having Draymond on this team. Because Draymond, I think, is why they beat the Rockets. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily because he was so... It's not necessarily because of his skills or his numbers, but he's the guy who's just like, we're going to war tonight. like, And and I'm going to keep us at an intensity level that matches like the situation which his intensity has always been you know his greatest strength and yes. downfall and we're talking about lebron falling off of a hill eventually like draymond's decline will be precipitous sure and yeah. it seems like to your point about like him being the soul like it seemed like he was the big recruiter with boogie mm-hmm. and i do wonder if that might end up coming to bite him and the entire team not only because i think boogie does a little bit and plays sort of the same position as Draymond. Obviously not the defensive guy, but offensively is just an incredible upgrade when he's healthy. On the other hand, I do wonder if Draymond's like attempt to be assistant GM and like the overall gluttony of the Warriors in this era, it may come back to bite them because you have a guy who has the personality of the the best player in the world. Yeah. And yet is going to be a diminished version of what even he was like maybe in, with the Kings. I think there's a possibility that he could take them down from the inside is what I'm saying. <laughs> and, you know, Durant and Westbrook, this just made me think of that. You know, like he, I think that they probably had issues getting along. Probably. I mean, it's probably, yeah. because, you know, the By whole, all accounts, KD was like, you know, when Russ you got. You take the ball too much. Well, and also like off the court, like they, when they first got to Oklahoma, I think it was more like we all hang out all the time. And then Russ and some other guys got into long-term relationships and we're just like, yeah, I'm not coming over. or We're not just going to go like play video games tonight. Right. And if Draymond's super outspoken about, you know, what he means to the team this year, I don't know. Maybe it could rub KD the wrong way. Yeah, I don't know. I the, the Warriors experiment is really fascinating because I thought last year was interesting too because everybody who covers basketball religiously, even basketball fans, are a little bit like, oh, the Warriors again. And then to see that creep into the Warriors themselves of like Steve Kerr being like, it's really hard to motivate these guys on a night-to-night basis. When the season ended, David West was like, a ton of shit happened behind the scenes that you guys don't know about. And so that's what makes this all the more sweet. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's like this harmonious... He's just getting ready for his book deal. Yeah, probably. <laughs> exactly. His, his MMA pod. Uh, are there any other big NBA questions you guys want to hit before we shut shut it down for the summer? I do wonder what the Lakers are doing. <laughs> like they they made like the biggest move of like the past four years, and pretty much every four years, wherever LeBron goes is the biggest move, and they followed it up with some really questionable signings. I mean, this is nothing new. I'm not really breaking ground here. On the one hand, I've come around to their way of thinking in that yes, playmaking and defense are big in today's era and like they're kind of like the forgotten things about the Warriors when we all focus on the mm-hmm. shooting when last year they had three shooters and nobody else and they still did really well. And I think there's like upside to Ingram and all these other guys. On the other hand, it's such a weird route to be so extreme about one like way of thinking. Uh, and I, I just like, I don't even know how to calibrate my expectation because on the one hand, like you could win a title with LeBron and anybody as we saw last year. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, like, I think a lot of these players aren't good. (laughs) I think more so than what are the Lakers doing, I think that this is LeBron doing the same thing he did in Cleveland with the, like, with the contract, keeping his options open, but changing that approach to the the players that he's surrounding himself with. Because you Mm. have, he had to have learned the lesson of signing, I mean, he didn't sign them, but, you know, 
Thompson signing that long, J.R. Smith's contract. Now he's surrounding himself with, I mean, everyone's, I'm even like saying that, oh, this is like Cleveland 2.0 from last season. They're they're probably going to be a better surrounding cast. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, they're, they're not as permanent. So I yeah. think that this is LeBron keeping his options open, just like we were saying earlier with how he did his contracts before. He's here to stay, but not necessarily the players around him. That's a really good point. Yeah. I don't know what success for the Lakers looks like this year. And I don't know what they can sustain in terms of any mediocrity. Like, I don't, I don't know what they do at 500. Does that is that a successful Lakers team? A 20-20 and 20 Lakers team? I don't know. And— it's interesting because whenever any other player except LeBron moves um, from the East to the West, we're like, well, now they're in the West. Now yeah. we've got to play the West. I don't think I've heard one single person say that about LeBron, but it is interesting because he played the most minutes in the league last season and in the postseason, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. And so it's like, he can't do that again this year. And also, I mean, it was interesting hearing uh, Arnovitz and Lowe talk about the Kawhi trade. They were talking about how typically the Spurs rack up a lot of wins by feasting on bad teams. Like, mm-hmm. they're never the team that gets caught sleeping against mm-hmm. a Phoenix. But everybody in the West is better this year. So wh- whether that affects the Spurs, maybe, maybe not. But, like, a Lakers team may find themselves in a lot more, like, dogfights on nights that they thought they were going to get Ws, you know? Yeah. That's true. It does feel like LeBron is trying to downshift in his career. Maybe take a like a, a more of a back seat. Maybe get these other guys involved so we could build something. They're really long-term. they're saying all the right things about like LeBron actually really wants to try it out with these kids. Right at the same time, like I think LeBron, like the the biggest like celebrity in sports, combined with the the franchise that's known for palace intrigue more than any other in sports. It's only going to exacerbate like uh, like just the this media explosion, just level of interest and all the mm-hmm. other stuff. So. I don't even know if that is his goal. It seems pretty contrary to it to go to that sort of team. I mean, what you're saying, like LeBron is an institution and the Lakers are an institution Mm -hmm. and now they're together. Yeah. And now they're going to have to figure out one institution to be. All right. We will come back if anything big happens. But for, for now, I think we'll probably be taking a little bit of break on group chat, but we'll obviously be back for preseason. Thanks for listening for Haley O'Shaughnessy and Justin Barrier. I'm Chris Ryan. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.